Well, good morning. And happy new year. I mean, if you are, if right now you are seeing lights in the sky and seeing orange, yeah, it's not because you didn't have enough sleep. That's actually what you're seeing, okay? Um, man, we spent, my wife Darcy and we spent most of this uh, past week with our granddaughter. And uh, her parents were around too. Um, <laughs> But uh, Olivia Jane was the, the main attraction, and uh, I, I just, you know, proud pop-up, so I got to show, show a picture. And, and she loves tacos already. I mean, it's just right to my heart. And not to be uh, outdone, uh, but I uh, uh, thought I'd show you a picture of Josiah James, our grandson. This is at 10 months old, advanced so advanced, right? And um, man, my, my kids are growing up. My, like my kids are having kids. You know what I'm saying? I know you look at me, you're like, how could that be? That's what you were thinking. How could that possibly be? My, my kids are having kids and, and, and their kids are, are growing up. They're growing up. That's what kids are supposed to do. Am I right? That's what they're supposed to do. If, if they weren't growing, then, then we would be worried. Uh, something might be wrong. A failure to thrive in a baby and a child is a cause for concern. And I think the same is true for Christians. I think that's true for Christians. A failure to grow up, a failure to thrive, for us to thrive in every way should be a cause for concern. 1 Peter 2.2 says that, that like newborn babies, uh, we should crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. You may grow up in your salvation. It's, it's not like we, we come to Christ, we're, we're born again, and we've arrived. We're done. We're all grown up, right? We still have some growing up to do at that point, don't we? Even Jesus had to grow up. Even Jesus had to grow up. He didn't stay in the manger of Christmas. Uh, he grew up. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about those growing up years, uh, we know that after eight days, he was circumcised. After 40 days, he was presented uh, to the temple, at the temple. And uh, right after he was presented, we read uh, this verse, Luke 2.40. It's the top of your outline. It says, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. The child, Jesus, thrived. He grew up. And we don't read really anything else. Uh, about Jesus until he's 12 years of old age. And it's again in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus returns to the temple, and this time he returns to listen and to ask and to teach. Do you recall the story? Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem to the, the, the Passover feast. They did this every year. And along with all their relatives, they arrived. But this time, uh, when, uh, when they leave, Jesus stays, Right? Mom thought uh, he's with dad. Dad thought he's with mom. They both thought he's with his cousins. Um, ever leave one of your kids behind? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ever been one of those kids who's been left behind? Trauma. It's trauma. Right? But th they were worried. Naturally, they were worried. But, but Jesus isn't worried. Jesus isn't traumatized at all. He's in the temple. He's in the temple. He's in his father's house. 
And at the end of that story in Luke 2.52, we read this, parallel to 2.40. It said, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. That's it. That's it until his earthly ministry begins at age 30. Now, all that time, what's going on? All that time, what's going on with Jesus? He's growing up. He's growing up. And Jesus had to grow even though he was fully God. And I get it. I'm not sure I understand that either, okay? Uh, But because he was also fully man, he chose to limit himself. He he chose to, to set some things aside. But the point I want to make is this. If Jesus had to grow, don't you think we need to grow? Don't you think we need to grow? The the goal of the Christian life is to become like Christ. That's the goal of the Christian life, right? The church is to equip the saints to to build up the body according to Ephesians 4, and we'll get back to Ephesians here in a few weeks. Ephesians 4, we, we do this until we all become mature, until we attain the fullness of Christ. That's how he's defining maturity, the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. Anyone there yet? (laughs) Anyone already attained the fullness of Christ, (laughs) right? Anyone finished growing up? I I want you just to turn to the person next to you and say, you need to grow up. I didn't say do it with delight and do it. You can say it to me. Rob, you need to grow up. We need to grow up. That's not a slam. That's just speaking the truth in love. All right, some of you enjoying, are enjoying that too much, all right? You need to grow up. Uh, four specific ways I want to talk about, right from this passage, from, from uh, Luke 2, 52, that Jesus grew. And we're going to look at each of them, and we'll talk about then how in 2023, maybe this can be a year that, that we might be intentional and, and we might uh, grow the way Jesus grew in some very specific ways. Number one, Jesus grew in wisdom, in wisdom. And, and that's, he grew intellectually, his mind, the way that he thought, the way that he acted on those thoughts. Jesus grew in wisdom. In Matthew 13, uh, Jesus came back to his hometown. He began to, to teach people and the synagogue, and, and, and they were amazed And it says, where did this man get this wisdom and those miraculous powers, they asked. So Jesus grew in wisdom to the point that even those in his hometown, I mean, if you're talking about the hardest people to impress, the hardest people to see that there's really been change, it's in your hometown. But even they were like, what happened? What happened? So wise, so powerful. What is wisdom? Quick working definition. Uh, Wisdom is the ability to consistently make good choices about the way that you live. It's the ability to consistently make good choices about the way that you live. It's not just information. It's not just knowledge. It's knowledge and information and truth applied. Applied. The the Greek word for wisdom uh, is that's used here is the word Sophia. 
Uh, The word means ultimate knowledge. It's ultimate knowledge about God. It's ultimate knowledge about self and others that makes a difference in the way that I act. If I know those things, if, 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 if I know the truth about who God really is and how he's created me and loves me and has redeemed me, then that ought to change the way that I act, the way that I live, the way that I think, right? The choices I make. Wisdom is seeing and living life from, not from my perspective or the perspective of the world, but from God's perspective, from his vantage point. J.I. Packer said, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and the highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. So where do we start when it comes to growing in wisdom? Proverbs 9.10 is going to make it really easy for us. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding, Proverbs 9.10. The the Hebrew word that's used there for fear of the Lord, uh, for you and I, we would likely use the word uh, respect. It's, It's this great uh, this kind of fear is this great love, this great respect. It's like a, a, a little child, not an older child, a little child naturally has for their, their parent. And it grows. Just like respect for someone else grows, the more and more they prove themselves to be faithful and reliable and consistent, right? It grows the more time that you spend with the Lord, your fear of the Lord. As we open our Bibles, as we watch him prove himself again and again and again as trustworthy and faithful and good, proving again and again that he does love us, that he does care about us, that he does know what's best for us, what's right for us. Wisdom, true wisdom, it comes from above. It's not like the wisdom of the world. Solomon is described, as you know, as the wisest man who ever lived, right? And in 1 Kings 3, God said to Solomon, uh, you can have one thing. So what do you want? One thing. He'd been watching Solomon. He's like, do you want pleasure or power or possessions? What do you want? And, And Solomon, he'd already tried all that. And he'd found it to be wanting. In Ecclesiastes, he said, all that, it's a chasing the wind. All of it, it's meaningless. So Solomon said, you know what I want? I want wisdom. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4, 7 and 8, in New Living Translation, he said, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Want to be wise? Really giving you three easy steps. Fear the Lord. Desire wisdom. Seek wisdom. Uh, pursue wisdom at all costs. And then ask for it. Man, that seems easy. <laughs> ask for it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I pray for wisdom all the time. You know why? Because I need wisdom all the time, right? And so do you. So we ask, we can ask, we can just say, God, I need some wisdom. As I approach this situation, as I I look at this uh, choice that I have to make, as I live out these relationships, I'm just asking for your wisdom in this context in this situation for my life, to apply what I know of of you and of your word, to apply that in this situation. It's also great that we can ask this not only for ourselves, but we can ask for wisdom for one another. Ephesians 1.17 says, I keep asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. Why? So that you might grow up. 
in the knowledge of God. Jesus grew in wisdom. And second, Jesus grew in stature. That is, he grew physically. He got bigger and stronger. And I know some of you are going, I did that. The last two weeks, I got bigger. Um, But that's not the kind of growing up that we're talking about here. Remember, Jesus came to earth, and he came as God, and he came came, uh, in the flesh. But he didn't come to earth so that he could figure out what it would be like to walk around in the flesh, to carry out this life in a human body. He already knew that. He knows everything. He came to this earth so that we would understand that he understood what it's like to live in these bodies in the flesh. Jesus went through everything that you and I go through. He was tired. He was hungry. He was frustrated. He he was in agony. He was tempted. And at, at that point, he never yielded that temptation. That's what was different about him. He faced death. He showed all of us that Uh, how you could take the body, this physical self, and you could use it in a way that brought honor and glory to God the Father. Like the psalmist, you and I, we, we can and we should praise God because we are what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. He's interested in these bodies because he created them and he commanded us to be good stewards of these bodies that he gave us, to use them for good, to use them in a way that would honor uh, the Lord, to take care of them. Uh, let me just ask, how many of you would, how many of you would change something about your body? I don't know, don't raise, no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, raise your hand, if you want to raise your because I'm guessing, yeah, uh, you know, eliminate a few wrinkles, take the, the spare tire out of the, your trunk, I mean, Recede your receding hairline, something. But most people, most people are physically fit for whom? For themselves or, or for uh, their date or for their husband or for their wife or other people that they're trying to impress, to have look at them in a positive fashion. How, how about being physically fit for our creator? Revolutionary concept, I believe, in our culture today. Uh, I don't know if you'll find that in any commercial, all right? Physically fit for a career, the one who made these bodies in the first place. That's a change in attitude. 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, uh, we're to honor God, glorify God with our body. And for sure, we're not glorifying God with our bodies when he used them in some kind of way uh, that they were not created for, in some immoral way. It's like, it's like taking a Picasso and using it for... Uh, you know, a, a doormat. It, it, it's like walking into the Sistine Chapel and saying, man, that'd be a great basketball court. Or, or looking at the Grand Canyon and saying, ah, garbage dump for sure, right? Um, when we take something that God created beautifully and wonderfully and, and, and we use it in a way that it was never intended, that's not glorifying God with these bodies. Paul writes in Romans 6.13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin, but rather offer the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. I I can best glorify God with my body when I realize that my body belongs to him. I offer it to him as a living sacrifice. I give it back to him. Again, that's very countercultural because the world says that it's my body and I'll do whatever I want with it. It's mine. 
But in Christ, we read that our bodies are not ours. They're not ours. Our bodies are members of Christ and the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are not your own. We have been bought with a price. So don't let social media or secular, uh, uh, social media, or secular media uh, define your worth by a size or an, a look. The value that's placed on us comes from the fact that we've been bought with a price. Uh, Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. And three, he grew in favor with God. We're talking about uh, spiritual growth, about growing closer to God. Jesus was God, right? Fully God, but he came as a man, fully man. He emptied himself. He took on flesh. He humbled himself, and he grew. And he grew uh, closer to his Father in heaven. Again, I mean, I know that's a little tough to wrap our heads around, but Jesus longed to spend time, was intentional about spending time with his Father. And that's what he's doing in in this passage, right between Luke 2.40 and 2.52, when he's at the temple, that's exactly what he's doing. It's exactly where he wants to be and needs to be, where they should have expected him to be in his father's house. How do we get closer to God? James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The truth is he's already taken the first step. He's taken the first thousand steps. He came to earth. He went to the cross. He he gave up his life for us. He, He showed his love for us. The Bible says that God is so close if you take just one step, if you draw near to him, you'll find that he's already drawn near to you, that he's right there. He's always been there. As believers, we come near to God and we find that he's already opened the door. He's already made a way. And and we can have this great, deep, real relationship with him. God's going to do his part for us to grow up. That's good news. He's going to do his part. That's the truth behind a a, a big theological concept called progressive sanctification, all right? Uh, It's simply the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to bring about transformation in our lives. But there's also an our part. God's going to do his part, but there's also an our part. And I think uh, it takes two things Minimally, I think it takes two things for us to grow spiritually. This is what I've experienced in my own life, and I've seen it countless times throughout my ministry. It takes desire, and it takes discipline. It takes desire, and it takes discipline. We need to ask ourselves this. Do I really want to grow? And will I do whatever it takes to grow? Do I really want to grow? And will I do whatever it takes to grow? A.W. Tozier is quoted as saying that complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. And let me just say real quick that, I, you know, I, I, I've often felt like busyness is the barrier to spiritual growth. I think busyness is just another form of complacency. It's just keeping us moving without going anywhere. It's avoiding what we really need and what we ought to be pursuing. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus talked about the genuine desire 
to grow. And what, it, what, what he pictures here that he paints for us is he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for right-relatedness, connectedness. And it says, for they shall be satisfied. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I don't go through a, an, a whole day and at some point, um, you know, not think about food. Um, I, I don't get to the end of the day and say, oh, huh. I guess I didn't eat or drink anything. I think about it, uh, and I enjoy thinking about it. I enjoy cooking it, and I really enjoy eating it, right? And, um, and Jesus said, that's the way I want you to be with me, to enjoy thinking about me and pursuing me and taking me into your life. You're just drawn to me, and so you pray. You're just drawn to me, so you have a quiet time. You're just drawn to me. And so you open up your Bible, not just to read through the words, but because you want to spend time with me and you want to get to know me. Nothing else satisfies. Nothing else fills us in that way. Desire leads to disciplines and heart leads to habits. Lots of opportunities and examples here that we could talk about this morning. But I particularly want to point you to one that's kicking off on January 9th. 40 days of prayer and fasting. You've got glimpses of that uh, in the newsletter. We've talked about it here and there. Um, but Monty will be talking about this in more detail uh, next weekend, next Sunday. And then again, it's kicking off on the 9th. Um, and this morning, after this service, because, because you are the faithful, you are the few, and you are here at this one service on January 9th, you have the first shot at picking up this booklet. All right, um, I'll also stick a, 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 an electronic PDF of this in the newsletter on Thursday, and you can grab it there if that's your preference. Um, but it's going to help you. This booklet's going to help you understand a little bit more about some, some practical tips, some guidelines on fasting, and also has uh, 40 uh, daily devotions on uh, the character uh, and the attribute of God. Um, and uh, I, I, let me just read one little piece here. It says, uh, uh, why fast? Answers the question, why fast? It says, there are so many reasons why people fast in the Bible, and all of them are good. Some wanted wisdom and power, while others were repenting of their sins. However, there was one aspect of the fasting experience that each had in common, a personal encounter with the living God. As you begin to consider reasons for your fast, there is one that will override all the other reasons, and that is to have a powerful, life-changing encounter with God. You may be thinking, you know, 40 days seems like a long time to go without food, especially you just got done talking about you can't go one day without it. Uh, well, you'd be right, so we're not asking you to do that. <laughs> but but maybe, maybe you've never fasted from anything. Maybe you've never taken on any 40-day any uh, challenge, and so it, it may feel very daunting, even giving up, as we'll do for uh, stretches like 10 days, one meal a day. Um, that kind of self-denial. Hebrews 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's honest. I appreciate the honesty of Scripture. Sometimes it's painful. It's hard. 
It may be why I've changed uh, historically kind of my, my, my vernacular around this. Instead of saying discipline, I'll say habit. Because discipline sounds too hard. Right? <laughs> Getting in shape growing up can be painful. Remember that as a kid, those growing pains? Man, I remember just laying in my bed. There was like a year I think I shot up three, four inches, and every night was just painful. But, man, I was proud. <laughs> I liked being a little taller. Uh, but getting in shape, growing up, for us to get closer to Christ this next year, it, it might cost us a meal. It might cost us some screen time. It might cost us a hobby or some money or a relationship. I don't know, but as we discipline ourselves to follow him, to spend time with him, the payoff outweighs the pain. I promise. Practicing spiritual disciplines, regular habits in your spiritual life doesn't, I want you to hear this, it doesn't earn you God's favor. It isn't some legalistic code that you get to then check the box on. But many have called them a means of grace, a way to draw near and draw from the Lord. He waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. Jesus grew intellectually, physically, spiritually, and finally Jesus grew in favor with man, with all people. He grew socially. Jesus was an absolute expert at relationships. He was very relational. The Bible says that Jesus grew in his ability to touch others, to love others, to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the, the Gospels, and list all the different connections that, that Jesus made with, with people, whether it was in the synagogue or in the temple or uh, on a mountain or in a, in, a, in a fishing boat. Read the Gospels. Jesus spent his life with people. Someone counted and, and found in the Gospels at least 108 different encounters with different people that Jesus had. From age 12 in the temple to age uh, 33 after his resurrection with Peter at the, the, the shore. He was very relational. He could talk to anyone. He talked to God and he talked to Satan. He talked to the disciples and he talked to Pharisees. He talked to Roman governors and he talked to lepers. He even talked to dead people. And as a preacher on New Year's Day, I know what that's like. <laughs> or maybe not. You've been great. You are great. I love you. All right. <laughs> it's the people who aren't here. Uh, Jesus talked to people all the time. He talked to people all the time. And so if there's anyone who could teach us a thing or two about, about relationships, I think it's Jesus. What, kind, uh, what made Jesus the kind of person that people wanted to spend time with him, right? The kind of person that influenced others in, in incredible ways. I think somewhere at the top of that list is because he was humble. In fact, that's how he described himself in in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart. People knew that he wasn't selfish or self-seeking. Um, who who likes to be around prideful, selfish uh, people? I hate it, right? We all do. I hate being around myself when I'm like that. Jesus was humble. His relational IQ was, 
was through the roof. It was off the charts. He was uh, honest and authentic and, and passionate and compassionate and giving and forgiving and loving and, and on and on and on. Jesus, Jesus grew in favor with all people. Do you want to be like Jesus? I, I would like to be 100% humble and honest and loving and compassionate with people. So would my wife. She'd love it. But this, this, is, this is how you win friends and influence people, right? Be like Jesus. Man, do I have room to grow. A lot of room. But that shouldn't keep me or keep you from growing. How many of you long for better relationships in your life? And man, sometimes it's the holidays that really exposes all that mess and all that brokenness and the unmet expectations. I think we all do. We want to be better, better husbands and Wives and friends and coworkers and neighbors and better with my enemies, better with people who look different or act different or think different or believe different. But, but we, we, we all know that takes work. It takes desire and discipline. It takes time. It requires something, unselfishness. It requires taking some risks. Jesus grew. And we, we know that we need to grow the way Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and with all people. We need to grow intellectually and, and uh, physically and spiritually and socially. And if we want to be all God wants us to be, all he created us to be for, for his glory and, and for the good of others, then, then, then we need to want it. And we need to be willing to do what it takes for that to happen. God's going to do his part. Are we going to do ours? So I want to invite you as we move into uh, 2023 uh, to set at least one goal in each of these four areas. And uh, it will help if the goals are, are SMART. This is an acronym uh, used by Ken Blanchard. Uh, S is for specific. Specific, that is, it's, it's not vague or unclear. And, um, and, and so they should also be specifically related to you in other words, don't set goals for other people like, I'm going to help my husband lose 25 pounds. Uh, M is for motivational. It doesn't, if it doesn't motivate you, if it doesn't motivate you, you're not even going to try. You, you need to be able to answer the why question. The why question. A is for attainable. If it's unreachable, unreachable um, again, you're going to get discouraged and you're going to give up. So don't say, my, my goal is to pray four hours a day, every day for 365 days. Um, man, if, if that is yours and you, you, you get there and you achieve that, we'll hire you. <laughs> um, uh, relevant uh, is the R, relevant. That means these goals are based on values and priorities. Don't ever set a goal that somebody else thinks you ought to have as a goal, <laughs> right? Uh, they ought to be relevant to you. They ought to be based on what you are hearing from God what God is asking you to be and to do. And T is trackable. It means I can measure my progress. Um, and, and so I'll be able to measure that and watch that and make adjustments to that and, uh, and know if I've reached that. So the, the so what this morning? I want to invite you uh, to start to set a SMART goal in each of the four areas that we see Jesus growing in. Um, and, and really, uh, maybe it's... it's uh, more helpful to think of these not as goals, but as priorities for your life uh, to grow like Jesus grew. Intellectual growth, ask yourself, what do I want to learn in 2023? 
Uh, God gave you a mind. Don't waste it. Fill it with wisdom from above. Again, Jesus at age of 12, the year before his bar mitzvah, uh, before manhood, uh, at 12, though, he's, he's setting and he's, he's fully God, but he's setting and he's listening and he's learning. How are you going to plan uh, to, to gain some knowledge and some truth and understanding and apply it in your life, to live life from God's perspective? Physical growth. What will improve my health this coming year? More sleep, eating better, exercise, treating a body like it matters because it does. He created it, redeemed it, purchased it. His, he dwells in it by his spirit. So a goal uh, for loving God with all of your strength. A spiritual goal. What will deepen my relationship with God? What's one thing that would make a big difference in my relationship with God? How can I draw near? Sign up for the 40 days of prayer and fasting. Read through your Bible uh, this year. And by the way, we're, we're going to make that a church-wide initiative um, on March 1. I, I'm not saying that any of these things will make you uh, uh, more spiritual, okay? But spirituality is the process of following Christ to become more like Christ. What are some specific steps that you can take in that direction? Social growth. What are some relationships that I need to invest in in 2023? How, how can I become more relationally intelligent and healthy? What relational attribute do I need to work on? Or maybe I need to plug into a community group or a serving team or a discipleship group or go on a mission trip to make connections, to live out this connected life. And you're thinking, now maybe I was motivated, but now um, I, I, I'm like, I've tried this. I've tried this. I've gone the New Year's resolution route, and it lasts, what's tomorrow? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I've set goals, and I just don't follow through, so I don't do that anymore. And I will tell you, it's a small percentage of people who actually sit down and work through this kind of stuff. But you can go, I have the greatest of intentions every year, but I just don't stick with it. I don't have the power to change. And I'll just say to you, you're absolutely right, you don't. So I'll end with this. To be like Jesus, you need Jesus. To be like Jesus, you need Jesus. In Ephesians 6.10, in recognition of the spiritual battle that we're all in, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Resolutions won't last two weeks, maybe two days, if you don't put on the whole armor of God and you don't suit up in Jesus every day. So I want to invite you to take a moment and, uh, and ask God to guide you into writing out some goals to help you grow like Jesus grew. And I'd encourage you to find like a, a, a few hours, a half a day, even a day to just sit down and listen and to begin to write out some of these goals. But go ahead and get a start with that right now.
Jesus, we come to you this morning, and uh, it's it's fun to start a new year, and the sense of fresh starts and new beginnings are always uh, hopeful, and uh, a chance to look back and look forward and think about your kindness to us in this new year, uh, but at the end of the day, Lord, um, with you and the gospel every single minute of every single day because of the gospel because of your kindness to us because of your mercy to us we get fresh starts and new beginnings lord when we fail which is often we know we're already forgiven we're called to move toward you quickly confess our sins and continue with fresh starts and new beginnings um, as the Puritans used to say always changing <laughs> always fresh starts and new beginnings uh, because of you and the gospel and so I pray this year maybe one of the big takeaways for all of our church is fresh starts and new beginnings every day in the gospel we're grateful for that Lord, we love you, grateful for this challenge this morning, and pray you would give us, as Rob talked about, great wisdom as we think through very intentionally uh, what this year will look like for us in those four crucial areas. Uh, we love you, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.